the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Don't, for the moment, like, don't, don't wear the Christian hat and say, well, I just need to forgive and forget. Okay, I get that. I get that. But I want you to go with me for just a moment. And when, you, when you've been wronged, I mean offended, violated, criminally, I'm talking, you want some judge to throw the book at that person. You want justice. Okay, and rightly so. You should want justice. And how long should it take before justice is meted out that would satisfy your desire for justice. We're all offenders. We choose to serve self before God, and that's breaking commandment number one. You could easily find multiple examples where you're breaking other commandments daily. As Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, when we experience offense at the hands of others, we want them to get what they deserve. It's an inherent desire for justice. The hard thing to accept is that all of us deserve that same justice from God, and every day that goes by without it shows His grace. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It's better not to make a vow at all than to make a promise or make a vow and break it. And Saul is guilty of making a vow that was unnecessary, so now it's leading to these unreasonable actions. And on the heels of that, here's the third principle from this chapter, pride breeds death, humility breeds life. Saul is too proud to admit that he made a foolish vow, that he imposed a foolish oath. So rather than taking responsibility and humbling himself where everybody can live, humility breathes life. He could have taken ownership and said, you know what? That was a silly, rash oath I made everybody take. Okay, Jonathan, you ate some of the honey. Okay. But son, wow, what a valiant warrior you are. Instead of that conversation, it's well, I made this vow and the people broke it, or Jonathan did at least, and so I'm going to kill him, my own son. Instead of being humble about it, he's full of pride, and it leads to, he wants to kill his own son. Now look, the people intervene, verse, verse 45, but the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not, as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. And so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. 
All right? God bless the people. The people realized this is a, a foolish vow. You made us swear. Jonathan didn't even know about it. He eats some honey, and you want to kill your own son? Now, do you see the spiral downward that Saul is taking? I mean, he, he's wanting to kill his own son over a foolish vow. He starts out as a very reluctant leader, and he's going to continually progress to this proud, paranoid, controlling king who now wants his own son dead and will try to kill David because David is a threat to him. I mean, this guy, he kills a bunch of priests. I mean, his story is going to unravel even further, but you're getting to see a glimpse of it now. Verse 46, then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. And so Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jishui. Jishui also, some of your Bibles has a, have a footnote. He's also referred to as Abinadab. And Malkishua, I love that name, Malkishua. So it lists three of his sons. Now, for, for you Bible scholars, there's another son who's not mentioned in the list, and his name is Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth is not mentioned here only because this is a list of his fighting sons. So we, we'll come to Ishbosheth later. There's a, a precious story about him. But he's not among the fighting men, and there's a reason for that. So it just lists these three sons, Jonathan, Jishuai, and Malkishua. And the names of his two daughters were these, the name of the firstborn, Merab, and the name of the younger, Michal. And Michal comes into the story even further when we get to David, so keep her in mind. Verse 50, the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz, and the name of the commander of his army was Abner the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. So Abner, the son of your uncle, is your cousin, right? So Abner is Saul's cousin, and Abner becomes Saul's general of his army. And then it says, Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul, and when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. So he drafted him in the army. It's like, you know, you see a strong guy and you're going to draft him into the army. Let's go into chapter 15 for a little while. Samuel also said to Saul, now the prophet Samuel is back on the scene here. And he says to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. All right, this is a difficult passage. Let's, let's be honest about it. What, what God through the prophet Samuel is telling Saul to do here. And it's, it conflicts with our sense of what is right and what is wrong. So before I comment on that. Let me just back up a little bit and and say this. Back in chapter 13, uh, 
well, even before chapter 13, it, it gets played out in chapter 13. Samuel gives Saul very specific instructions. When you get down to Gilgal, I want you to wait seven days. I'll show up on day seven and I'll offer the sacrifices. That's, this is when I alluded to at the beginning of our Bible study, uh, Saul did not wait. I mean, it was day seven, but he didn't wait until the end of day seven. And Samuel shows up before the end of day seven. Saul is already guilty of sacrificing the animals, which was something Samuel said he would do. And so back in chapter 13, Samuel had already told King Saul, you have disobeyed God and the kingdom is going to be taken from you. It's as if that's strike one. And Saul should learn from that, like going forward, because what basically God was saying through Samuel back in chapter 13 to Saul was, the lineage of your family will not inherit the throne because of your disobedience. When we get here to chapter 15, there's new instruction that Samuel gives Saul, and it's almost as if I can hear Samuel in a sense saying, now I want you to listen very, very carefully, Saul. You blew it back in chapter 13. Don't blow it here in chapter 15. Okay, so like, listen very, very carefully to my instructions. Because the sad thing is, by the time we get to the end of chapter 15, I'm just giving you a little preview, a little spoiler alert. Saul is going to violate the commandment yet again. And at the end of chapter 15, it's not just that the heritage will no longer pass through the line of King Saul to his sons, but Saul himself will be removed and replaced. So obeying the Lord is a very critical thing. And so Samuel spells it out very clearly here about Amalek. Now, who is Amalek? Amalek was the name of a king. It's really a title, not not even a, a, a personal name. And after this king comes the name of the people, the Amalekites. God, through Samuel here, is imposing judgment on the Amalekites. The reason why God is imposing judgment on the Amalekites is, and you can turn back or you can just listen, back to Exodus chapter 17, all the way back in Exodus chapter 17, when God delivered the Hebrew slaves after 400 years of slavery in Egypt and led them by the hand of Moses to the promised land, the first people to attack the Hebrews as they were moving from Egypt to the promised land were the Amalekites. The Amalekites attacked the Israelites in their journey, and as a result of attacking the Israelites and God defended them, God pronounced a judgment back in Exodus chapter 17, And he said this to Moses, I'm going to read the last few verses of Exodus 17, starting at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name. So he named the altar, the Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi in Hebrew. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Okay, so make note of that. And your Bible's back here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, just kind of in the margin of your Bible, where Samuel gives this command to King Saul, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. It's in reference to what happened in Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites were the first ones to waylay the Israelites on their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. And so now judgment is coming to the Amalekites. And when you read the the judgment statement, the sentence that God pronounces, this is where it is 
difficult to our sense of reason, okay? Especially when you get to the part about, I want you to slaughter also the women, the infants, and the children. And so this violates our sense of conscience and morality. So let me say just a couple of things. First, God is not obligated to do things the way we think is fair. God is the supreme judge of the universe, and God can pronounce sentence upon any that he deems guilty. Now, when it comes to this particular sentence, here's the question. How long should God wait in his patience with our sinfulness before he pronounces judgment? I'm asking a human question from a human rational standpoint, all right? Like, what's fair? How long to wait? Let me ask you this. Let's say somebody, I'm talking about another, another earthly human being, let's say somebody violates you in some horrible way, you know, robs your house or, or you know, just think un- unimaginable, unspeakable things I don't, even, I don't even want to say, what somebody might do against you. You want swift judgment and justice for them, don't you? Don't, for the moment, like, don't, don't wear the Christian hat and say, well, I just need to forgive and forget. Okay, I get that. I get that. But I want you to go with me for just a moment. And when you, when you've been wronged, I mean, offended, violated, criminally, I'm talking, you want some judge to throw the book at that person. You want justice. Okay, and rightly so. You should want justice. And how long should it take before justice is meted out that would satisfy your desire for justice. Let me tell you in this story how long God waited from Exodus 17 to 1 Samuel chapter 15 to impose judgment on the Amalekites. Are you ready for this? More than 400 years. More than 400 years he waited for the Amalekites to turn from their sinful, evil ways and to turn to him. It wasn't unheard of. You remember that the first people that the Israelites came to in the city of Jericho, Rahab, a harlot, a Gentile Canaanite harlot, she was a prostitute. She turned to the living God. She put her faith in the living God. She and her household were spared from the city of Jericho while the rest of the Canaanites were destroyed. So God is merciful. He will accept anyone who turns to him. He will accept anyone from any part of the globe, whatever your past may be, who, who, who sincerely turns to God and is repentive about their own sin because God is a merciful God. And he waited 400 years for the Amalekites to turn to him before he said, time's up. So while to us it may not make rational sense when we think this seems like such a horrible thing when we think about infants. And by the way, his sentence was to wipe them all out. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, however that infants and children were sentenced to hell. It just means there was a death sentence to the Amalekites. But God in his mercy, you know, he rescues those who were too young to be able to make a decision for him, who were too young to be accountable because they don't have the ability to turn to the Lord. You know, God did that in the case of the, of the Hebrew people. When the, when the Hebrew people left slavery in Egypt, An entire generation didn't believe God, rebelled against God in the wilderness, sinned against God. And what did God do? He sentenced that generation, but not their children. 
And he said, your children will go into the promised land, but not you. Why did he hold the kids accountable? Because they were too young to be able to make a decision to be held accountable. So God in his mercy, there's a place of grace for infants and children. So even though there's a death sentence to the Amalekites, that doesn't mean that he sentenced infants and children to hell. So God is a merciful God, but he's also a just God. And he waited 400 years before he imposed this sentence. Okay? Amen. So thank God that he's merciful with you and with me because his patience is for salvation. He's not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness, but he is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, the Bible says. And so God is patient with us. This seems like this indiscriminate slaughter, but it wasn't like that at all. And thank God that he doesn't deal with us that way today. Well, verse 6, sorry, it's verse 4. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. So he's got quite a, an army here, 210,000. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Okay, fair warning. Saul says, you know, I've come here on a mission uh, from God, and, and I'm going to take out the Amalekites. You were Kenites. You're not a part of them. You live among them. You better run before you die with them. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, oh, that's not good. But... Saul and the people spared Agag, that's the king, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good in their eyes, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Oh, this is not good at all. They're, they're not obeying. Saul is not obeying the word that Samuel spoke to him. Now look, verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Okay, so notice, Samuel's not with Saul at the moment, but God speaks to Samuel the prophet and he says, listen, I regret. Now circle that in your Bible. That is what we call a theological anthropomorphism. What is an anthropomorphism? That is just a fancy word that means sometimes God uses human language to communicate in a way that human beings can understand his heart. It's not like God has like, oh, whoops, I made a mistake, so now I have regret. He's communicating in anthropomorphic terms to help us understand his heart. He's saddened by this, but it's not like God makes mistakes. That's not what regret means in the language here. He's using a term. Sometimes he does use terms. And you're going to see he uses regret at the end of the chapter 2 to communicate to us in human terms so that we can understand his heart. And he says, I regret this. I regret setting up Saul as king. He's turned from me. He hasn't followed my commands. And it grieved Samuel too. Notice verse 11. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So he's just... 
Have you ever had one of those restless nights just all night in prayer? Just something so heavy on your heart, you're just, you're just tossing and turning all night long, praying, praying, maybe napping a little bit, praying. This is, this is what Samuel's going through here. Verse 12 says, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, so some tattletales, you know, hey, Samuel, psst. Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. Okay, you see how he continues to slip? Saul's no longer this humble, reluctant leader. He's setting up monuments for himself, statues, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, and he sees him coming, he goes, Hey, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Are you kidding me? No, you haven't. But see, he's so self-deceived at this point. And so now, look at this. So he goes, hey, Samuel, good to see you. I've done everything that God told me to do. And Samuel said, verse 14, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So Saul's Saul's like, I did everything that you asked me to do. By the way, by the way, I did it. By the way, I've done everything. You know, all of that's going on in the background. And Samuel's like, wait a minute, hold on just one second. If you, if you say you've done everything, and that included killing all the livestock, that's what I told you. What's, how come I'm hearing, bah, how come I'm hearing, moo, in the background? Because not everything's dead. And Saul said, notice, they, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Here's another point from chapter 15. Sin is still sin even with a spiritual spin. You can tweet that, friends. That's worth tweeting right there. I came up with that this afternoon. What's he doing? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah no, don't, don't, don't mind that, you know, the, the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the, of the oxen and the cattle in the background because we only saved them. The people wanted to, by the way, what, what even me. I, I kind of didn't want to, but the people, people kind of made me do it. And so they wanted to sacrifice an offering to the Lord. That's the only reason why we spared them, please. You disobeyed God, don't put a spiritual spin on it. You ever run into these kind of people who say, you know, listen, let me just share with you a prayer request. It's a prayer request. And then they proceed to gossip about somebody else. It's the sin of gossip, but they've spun it in a spiritual, it's just a prayer request. I'm I'm not gossiping, it's a prayer request. (laughs) Did you hear about this? Did you hear? Did you hear about this? Pray, pray for that brother. Pray for that sister. You know, that's what I, I've heard this. I've heard this. It's not, a, it's not a prayer request. It's just plain gossip. But you've spun it to make it sound like it's all super spiritual. You know, so, or, or, or like in the home. Yep, some teenagers here. Don't mean to call out the teenagers. I once was one, so I know I can speak from experience. You have just enough spirituality. This is the reason why you disobeyed mom. I didn't listen to you, mom. Didn't listen to you. Because you know what? I felt like the Lord really wanted me to do this. Really? Well, let me tell you what the Lord's telling me to do. Get closer. You know what I'm saying to you? Just give me, I'm going to give you the right hand of fellowship right now. That's what I'm going to give you. So there's a whole bunch of ways we can spin stuff. No, it's gossip. No, it's disobedience. No, it's whatever. And so Saul's a master at this. He's like spinning the sin 
to make it all sound spiritual. The only reason we kept these animals, Samuel, Sammy, my friend, was just to worship the Lord. And uh, Samuel said to Saul in verse 16, you be quiet. The translation in the Message Bible, just shut up now. Just shut up now. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. There's much to learn from this story. This guy's life, it's tragic really on many levels how Saul's life just really unravels. But much to learn. I think it was Mark Twain who said, I can always learn from somebody. They can at least serve to be a bad example, right? And so Saul's one of those guys, unfortunately. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.